Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read 17 through 20. It's a passage that we've studied before, we've looked at. Uh, But we are uh, taking a short little three-week break in the middle of the study of the Sermon on the Mount. So just kind of keeping you connected. And and it's really the Sermon on the Mount that inspires this little break on discipline. Because we're talking about uh, what, what is Jesus after in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that he's really kind of setting down his his desires his his plan for the coming of the kingdom of God through his life and his work his death and resurrection and what it looks like for followers participants who are a part of that kingdom and uh, one of the indispensable tools helps to us in living in that kingdom our spiritual disciplines so it's coming out of this Sermon on the Mount. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our, our, our eyes and our ears to what you want to teach us. We pray that you will guide us and encourage us as we stand under your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been studying, as I said, we're taking this little break on um, spiritual disciplines because when we look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we see these high calls, these high ideals of holy living, of some people even say perfection, so that when we see that perfection, we know we need Christ. But I think he's actually holding out hope that we can and will learn move into living according to the kingdom he's describing. And we will only do that when we are walking in the power of the Spirit, when the life that he has planted in us is flowing through us and coming out. The presence of the kingdom is the important concept. And it's a concept I've been emphasizing each and every week as we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. It's an important concept that's connected to being involved in the disciplines. When we think about the kingdom, 
There have been many instances where we have seen people that recognize the importance of the kingdom, love the kingdom, and orientate their life to live for the kingdom. I I think of even last week we had Emmanuel from Rwanda who was here, and he was speaking to us uh, downstairs telling us about the troubles in Rwanda when they had ethnic cleansing and all of the the millions of people who lost their lives, the, the, the terrible state of that country. And Emmanuel happened to be, became one of the leaders in the cabinet of the president of Rwanda and was helping to bring peace and restoration in the country. But then he realized he was very well paid, he was taken care of, he had lots of prestige, and he was doing a lot of good. But God laid it on his heart to leave that job and to go work in the church. And his friends and people around him all said, you got seven kids, where you don't have a lot of means for making a living and surviving, you're going to leave your government job and go work in a church? But you talk to him and you, you see from him his love for the kingdom and his value for the work of the church and his care for people and the interest in the gospel. It caused him to make that step. I think of others. When I went to Mexico down in Tenancingo, this was several years ago, and met some teachers, uh, this one particular teacher, who worked like crazy teaching preparing his classes, meeting with students, trying to help them to get ahead. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, he would work at a church. And he did that trying to scrape enough money together to survive. And the interesting thing is he was trained in another field of study at the university, which was very lucrative, but he laid all that aside to do this kind of work where he interacted with people and he worked in the church. And he said that I do this because I see the value of the kingdom of God. There, I could be making more money someplace else, but there is nothing as important as what I'm doing here. Reminds me of several students I met in seminary. and One, one was a lawyer who left a very lucrative practice move his family to seminary into little rooms to try to get a degree so he could work for the church, never expecting to ever make money like he was making as a lawyer, but to lay that aside. And these kinds of stories happen over and over. And as I think about those stories, I think about the the account. I love Matthew chapter 13. It's the chapter about the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13. But I love 44 through 46. Let me read that for you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had. To buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. When I hear those stories of those folks, I think of that. Now, when we look at this parable, 
we could get tempted to get caught up into some of the details, like whether it's ethical to find a great treasure and then bury it up and go off and get enough money to buy the land so you get it. Well, if you think about that, you know, that, that's probably diminishing what the, the story is about. You know, and we could say, well, you argue nine, you know, possessions, nine-tenths of the law. In Israel, it was ten-tenths of the law, so if he got it, he got it, so it was okay. But, but we would miss something vital if we get into thinking about those kinds of things. Or should we press the details about maybe somehow our work and our effort gets us into the kingdom? Maybe he went out and sold all his things, and that's why he got the kingdom. No. The story is a metaphor. And it's a metaphor, like all of his parables, like all of Jesus' parables. There is a point that we should see. And it's that point that we must get that is so important. The kingdom of God is worth everything. There will never be a treasure, a joy, or a possession, or an accomplishment that you will get that will surpass what you've been given in Christ. So when we think about this, it is imperative, important for us to realize this great treasure that has been given to us. Jesus came and won the victory on the cross, Calvary, and rose victorious so that we might be participants, recipients of the great kingdom. And so... As we think about this kingdom, as we learn about this kingdom, we have to say and ask the question, is our life reflecting the importance of this kingdom? Is our life transformed because of the value of the gift that we've been given? In our culture, religious commitments oftentimes function as our religious expressions. Oftentimes we do Christian things. We give to church. We serve at church. We go to church. We're nice to our neighbors. We do things at work. But when we think about the parable of the kingdom, it's not just something we add on top of our our already busy full lives. The parable of the kingdom is to shake us up, to help us to see that there's nothing more important and that everything else in our life pales in comparison with it. And the question that comes to me as I think about that is, is our life really reflecting the rich joy of the kingdom that we've been given? That's a hard thing to think about. But that is the, 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 the message. Listen again one more time to just that, that parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had to buy that field. Again, the treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a pearl. And when he found it, the one of great value went away and sold everything he had to buy it. Do we approach the kingdom that way? 
as we hear the words of Jesus? Are these just good suggestions or are these life in a kingdom that is more valuable than anything else in our lives? When we come to talk about spiritual disciplines, the trouble that we have, and I'm in this camp, is to hear good ideas about how we can change, how we can do things that will move us closer to the Lord so that we can live with spiritual mindedness and and engaging life in the kingdom of God. We hear about all those things, but they never take hold. And so my challenge to you in point number one, we must make living in the kingdom our highest joy. Notice in the parable of the, the finding the treasure in the field in his great joy. Because in that life of the kingdom is great joy because it is life. Now, to gain an understanding of our eternal kind of life in God's present kingdom, we must be sure we understand what a kingdom is. Every last one of us has a kingdom, a government a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choices determine what happens. Here is a truth that reaches to the deepest part of who we are, that God made us to be. We have agency. We can make decisions. We can move things, shape things, determine things. Now, some people may not think this is so, but even John Calvin remarked, everyone flatters himself, everyone thinks of his own kingdom, and carries around in his breast a kingdom. Calvin understood this to mean that there is nobody who does not imagine that he or she is good or better than other people. That we're managing our lives in a way that is honorable and respectable. And that we are in some way in charge. That's just true. All too easily we presume to rule others in opinions and word and in deed if we can. But it is nevertheless true that we are made to have dominion. That's part of the image of God in us. We have authority. We have appropriate realms to reign in. This is the core of the likeness or the image of God in us. And it is the basis of our destiny. We were formed to have agency, to operate in the world. We are never ceasing spiritual beings with a unique eternal call to make everything count in our world, in our kingdom, for God's glory. Our kingdom is simply the range of our efforts and our wills. Whatever we genuinely have control of, by definition, is in our kingdom. In creating human beings, God made us to rule, to reign, and to have dominion in a limited sphere. The sense of having some degree of control over things is recognized pretty as a very important part of our lives. If you talk to healthcare professionals, they recognize that it is a vital factor for both the physical being and even the... Um, 
even the seriously ill, to be able to operate and to accomplish things for their well-being. If you've ever had kids and you know how important it is to let them do it, or if you've had employees, it's important to let them do it, and whatever that it is, is their participation. They have to have ownership of the process. And what's amazing is that God, in his kindness and goodness to us, he made us as those kinds of people to have ownership, to do it, to do stuff. That is what it means to have influence in our kingdom. Now, if we're going to live for God's kingdom, if we're going to value his kingdom, we have to start to orientate our kingdom to his kingdom. We have to live in submission to his will and his purposes. And that means that his will and his purposes, his kingdom is impacting our everyday decision. Everything we do. This is what's so important. Therefore, we have to place God's rules over our rules. At our very heart, we have to express integrity. We have to express strength. We have to express hope and confidence in God and his rule in our life. And God wants to bring his redemptive purposes and intentions and invites us individually to take every action, every thought of our lives on a day-to-day basis and submit it to his will. That's part of the kingdom that he's given you. But living in the kingdom is submitting our kingdoms to his kingdom. That is vitally important. And that is what becomes so important in the disciplines. Because it's not just something that we just keep doing our own stuff and we live life and we enjoy our purposes and our plans and our selfish ideals. And yeah, you know, there's some nice things out there like spiritual disciplines that might help us grow and orientate our world towards his. But we're kind of happy with how it's going. That's not where we need to live. We have a call, each and every one of us, to grow deeper in our walk with God and our understanding of his will and purpose for us. And it fleshes itself out in our everyday situation. That's why disciplines of subtraction cause us to get away from building our own kingdoms. Cause us to take a pause on everything that we're influenced by, by the world around us, the goals and purposes and plans, so that we step back and say, God, show me where you want me to be. And in the same way, in disciplines of addition, we do things where God can impact our life and change our direction, change our actions, so that it is in line with the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God. And if we don't intentionally work on that, if we don't practice that, if we don't train to do that, we will continue building our own kingdoms. And we'll give lip service to God's kingdom. But it won't be transforming our kingdom. And that's the need. That's the need for you. That's the need for me. I'm preaching this one to me. So... 
God's dream and desire is living in his kingdom and that our highest joy is receiving benefit and direction and shaping and life from his kingdom, controlling our kingdom so that we're living life in our kingdom under his kingdom as God designed and wanted it to happen even in the Garden of Eden when he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the garden. It was to be co-regents, co-leaders under God to care for God's creation and to live their life under God's direction and blessing. That's where God longs for us to live. So we must make living in the kingdom our highest joy. Second, we must make our lives as disciples, as kingdom people, stronger by disciplines of addition. I talked about last week disciplines of subtraction. Just mentioned it. But it's important we think about disciplines of addition too. And so as we think about disciplines of addition, we must realize that this is important because our discipline, our action as Christians doesn't derive from just subtraction. It derives from addition as well. Because addition empowers us, directs us, helps us develop in the way that God wants us to grow. It moves us into engagement and training and filling our lives with good things that God wants us to have. So, there are many disciplines of addition. And I want to list a few. And then I want to come back and dig a little deeper into another one. So, one of the things we should do as we're living in the kingdom is corporate worship. It's what we're doing here today. It's what we engage in when we sing. When we worship together with each other as a body, we dwell upon and express the greatness of God, the beauty of God, the goodness of God. And when we sing, it's not singing because we like the music and the and we do we do like the music and we like the instrumentalists. But it's not about that. It's about coming together and saying together what God has done so that we feel and experience the truths of his presence and his promises, the things that undergird us and give us life. And we confess our faults and our needs and we depend on his grace. We come and we do that in his presence and we come and do that together. And as we do that... Those truths and those words sink deep into our lives and we enter into a deeper relationship with God. We hear the scriptures and we affirm and hear the truth of God and his word to us and it enters into our hearts and changes us. So worship is not just kind of an add-on icing on the top and it should be fun and should be encouraging. I want to see my friends. We come here mainly to meet God, to recognize his truth. His authority and his, his place of honor and beauty and glory. And we come to confess our need for him and to encounter him. These are things we need. I think of celebration. Celebration is oftentimes not think, thought of as very important. It's often overlooked. Yet it, dwells, it, 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 it springs up from our dwelling on God. 
God valued celebration. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves and we enjoy life and we enjoy the world and we enjoy the faith and the confidence and the direction of God in our life. When we walk outside, we should be seeing everything that God has provided as a blessing and a gift that causes a celebration. You ever wonder why in the Old Testament there are so many feast days and celebration days and they weren't just like an hour long or anything. You go to the city and you spend three days feasting and celebrating. Why? Because God values celebration. He values us seeing his good creation and the abundance of his good gifts to us. And we take that in. That's a discipline of addition. God wants us to celebrate and be happy about all that he has done. I think of service. Service is engaging in goods and strength and activity for someone else. And when we do that, we are blessed. We stand in, uh, in work and in effort for the causes of God in the world. I may also serve someone else to train myself. So we always serve because it's an outflow of what God does for us. But we also can serve to train ourselves to move away from arrogance, to move away from self-centeredness, to move away from envy and covetousness. In that case, my service takes on a discipline role as well as my benefiting someone in need. Uh, there are so many, as I said, prayer. Prayer is conversing with God. When we pray, we talk with God and we need to talk with God. It's a wonderful thing about prayer is that even when we pray for other people, their needs and their concerns, it's bringing us into an intimate relationship with God where we're changed and we're transformed. The communication with God the Father is giving us life and teaching us and growing us and helping us to develop. There's fellowship, confession. All of these are super important. And as I have mentioned before, I'm learning the importance of these disciplines. And I want to really push into knowing the importance and practicing, actually doing them. I don't want to just talk about them. So I will be starting a new group in January, every Saturday, 9 to 10. I'm going to call it The Furnace. And I think of it as the furnace of the church. And in that group time, we're going to read books together. We're going to talk about our own practices of spiritual disciplines. We're going to challenge each other to fast together, to pray together, to grow together, to put these into our lives. Because I need it. And I need others to help me do it. And I hope that you can get encouragement to do it as well. Because we can hear these good ideas. But it's a lot harder. It's called discipline. And I know some people are running new and, and have run and, and have gone to school and trained. You know, anytime you take on something that is a challenge, it doesn't just fall into your lap naturally. You have to work at it. You have to set goals and agendas and achieve things. That's discipline. The spiritual life is not just, well, we believe Jesus and that's just the way it goes and I hope he takes care of everything and we'll get to the end someday. 
No, it is that we learn, we follow, we learn from Jesus. That is being a disciple, a learner of Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are essential to that. So, back to the one I wanted to talk about. One discipline I'd I'd like to just dive a little deeper into. And it is in knowing the word. And when it comes to knowing the word, we're talking about knowing the scripture in a way that it speaks to our hearts and shapes our lives. It is not talking about knowing the word in the terms of content and understanding all of the stories and knowing all of the things that happen, which is important and you have to do that too. But we're looking at knowing the word in a way that God encounters us in the word. That we submit to its discipline. We are changed and transformed because of its truths. We apply what God is saying to our lives. There's one uh, place that I find this most helpful. And uh, it's a description that Paul uses. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 5. And it's when Paul's talking about husbands and wives as a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And he says, um, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, what's going to do that? It's the washing of the water of the word. Notice this Christ's bride, that the washing of water of the word is making them radiant. It's making them clean, without spot, without wrinkle, without any blemish, to be presented, to be made holy. When we talk about Letting the word of God speak into our life and change and transform us. It's not just content, but it's speaking to the very everyday activities of our lives. When I think about this, and I think the washing of the water of the word, I think, you know, I look at my life in a serious moment and say, I haven't let the word of God speak to me the way it should. It hasn't transformed my heart. My life as it should. I must do more. I must let it speak to me in deeper and more profound ways. Because all I have to do is think about going to the grocery store. If I go to the grocery store and all the lines are full and I'm trying to get in and get out and I'm wondering why are all these people standing in the grocery store all day and then they're having a long conversation in the aisle. I'm like, "Ah." and then of course I get up and I'm going to check out and somebody wants the price check and then I got to stand there. You know, I just notice I'm totally consumed with my agenda and my kingdom. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll confess to you that I have this one other problem. Whenever I'm in the parking lot and someone's driving really slow, I'm always watching that where they park and just see who's, who's driving like that. But when, when they especially go into the handicapped parking lot, I want to see if they're really handicapped. <laughs> I said, ah, did they buy that sticker on the black market or some relative give it to them? Uh, they really have to do that? And can't they drive faster if they're not handicapped? I don't know. But, you know, all that, it just reveals that 
I naturally do my own kingdom stuff. This uh, last week I had a, a unique experience. Uh, I got a call from a pastor of an Amish community in Pennsylvania. And he had a, a group of Amish that were coming from Pennsylvania going to Mexico. And uh, one of their sons had a seizure on the bus right here in Columbia. And they took him to Boone Hospital, dropped him off, and they all left. And they left with all his luggage, all his money, everything. He was just there. And so the pastor called me and said, can you go and help him? He's kind of up at the uh, Midway Hotel. The chaplain gave him a ride there. He's got a room, but he doesn't have any clothes or any food or, you know, we don't know what he's doing. And I said, sure. I've always wanted to talk to an Amish person. I got lots of questions. I'm really interested. So I went and got him, picked him up. He was willing to come. Take, brought him to my house. My wife had made dinner. We really went fancy on him. We made hamburger helper. Um, so we got hamburger helper, and he sat down, and he's like, wow, it's so bright in here. And he's telling me about how they don't have lights in their uh, houses, and he's been in the same house that was first built way back in 1700s, and, and it's just an amazing story. And then we started talking about Bible stuff. And he's telling me his interpretation of the Bible, and I'm kind of telling him my interpretation of the Bible. And all of a sudden, I realize, now, wait a minute, I I was supposed to be kind and hospitable, and now I'm irritated. And and he thinks he knows the Bible better than me. Let's go, you know, toe-to-toe on it. Uh, And then, you know, all of his rules, he was kind of like, well, you English people, you know, you're not enlightened as we are. You know, and so... There was this very sick response. And I realized I was doing it because I was a pastor. I got called by a pastor. I wanted to be helpful. But how easy it is for me to transition from God's kingdom and doing what God wants me to do and do what I want to do and worry about my kingdom and my rights. Where is the washing of the water of the word? I feel like, I realize, I see in my heart, there are seeds of disobedience and self-centeredness that will easily take root in who I am. And then I find myself being, as James said, double-minded, tossed to and fro, because I want to build my own kingdom while I claim to want to build God's kingdom. Remember, we have... Responsibilities. We have agency in our worlds, in what we do, what we can control. And I'm afraid that many times we don't bother to make that a kingdom of God. We're happy to keep it our own kingdom. And disciplines. When we do disciplines of subtraction, that is to help us to stand back and see who God made us to be, what's important in our life, not my activity and not what I accomplish, not what I do and what people think of me, but it is what God thinks of me. And then disciplines of addition is giving me instruction on what and how I should live. The things God's will would cause me to do so that I walk in them and not just as I would normally walk according to my own kingdom. That's why the disciplines are so important. They are helps and avenues towards heart transformation. 
really living out of the overflow of our relationship with God, the joy of knowing that in joy we went and sold all that we had because the kingdom is so great. As we think about disciplines, we think about the opportunities that God gives us, the last point I want us to know is we must follow the biblical model of living as disciples. Jesus walked among us as a human being. There was a certainty, a simplicity to being a disciple of Jesus in that time. Primarily, it meant to go with him. It meant to study under him, to observe him, to live with him. Remember what Peter said. Look, we've left everything and followed you. When Jesus called, the sons of Zebedee, the father of the fishing business, said, oh, my sons are just up and walking away. They knew that they wanted to follow Jesus. We don't live in that situation. We can't just up and follow Jesus. But there is a new day and a new thing that has happened in our life. And that is that God has communicated with us by his Holy Spirit. He is giving us his word. And down through the ages of the church, Christ has become real and alive in people's lives. And the invitation for you and for me to let Christ live in us as the most important thing. Nothing can, can stand against it. Nothing can compete against it. The most important thing is to know Christ, to let him live through us. And if we value that, we will enter into the disciplines. We will learn what it is to walk with Jesus and allow his life to flow through us in the day to day, in the every moment. So that my kingdom that I have influence on and over is submitted to his kingdom and is a picture of what Jesus can do and is. As we think about discipleship. Non-discipleship, we should know, non-discipleship costs us a great deal. It costs us an abiding peace if we won't enter into that relationship. Non-discipleship costs us a life of lacking of penetrating love that comes from God. It costs us faith in seeing that God is directing and moving in our life in every circumstance, in every challenge. In short, non-discipleship costs us exactly the abundance of life that Jesus came to bring us. So the invitation is, enter in. Enter into being a full, fully committed disciple of Jesus, learning to follow him so that his kingdom rules and reigns in our kingdom let's pray lord we thank you that you continue to pursue us and to love us and to offer grace to us and life to us lord even when we as your people become hard-hearted and callous and interested in our own worlds and our own kingdoms you continually open the door and invite us to walk with you to be transformed by you, to experience you. And Lord, we need you. 
We need you in hard times of life. We need you in good times. Because our heart so often goes astray. We build our own kingdoms too quickly. So, Lord, we pray you build the disciplines into our lives. Help us to stand in a real, vibrant relationship with you and learn what it means to be yours and allow you to live through us. In Jesus' name, amen.